with what's new in adaptive physical education and we're going to start off right where we left with the talk about transition and APE and the transition process. Uh, this will probably be our last podcast in the year 2017 and we'll be right back in 2018 with a lot of good material and podcasts. We have a lot of great things planned and ready to go. But if you remember from last time, we had Dr. Arnhold from Slippery Rock University and Laura Brickhouse, the APE Teacher of the Year from Shape America in 2017. And they're here and they're giving us some great information about how we can get involved in the, in the transition process. Dr. Arnhold is going to talk about the transition program he has, which I think is really unique uh, at Slippery Rock University, where they really include the health promotion program within that as well as we're going to talk about the importance of APE teachers within the transition process. And as you listened before, I'm sure you know that we're super passionate about us being at the table during the transition process. We need to be there. We help out in so many ways. And I sometimes think that we can be the most influential in that transition process. We can help them with getting a job. We can help them stay healthy in their lives outside of school. We can help them access facilities uh, and stay healthy and stay active. So I think it's incredibly important that we're at the table. And as you all know, a lot of times we're not. So with this podcast, I hope you all listen. I hope you get some ideas and I hope you all get a little bit more enthusiastic about us getting involved in the transition program. With that, we're going to start the interview right now. With that, I want to now just kind of Keep going with the facilities piece. And Dr. Arnhold, um, I want to hear a little bit more about your program and exactly what it is, because it sounds, uh, you know, somewhat unique, and then how you're integrating uh, physical activity and wellness into it. Okay. Uh, we have something called the TAP program, Transition Achievement Program, and about 35 high school students come to campus up to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And they go through four stations. And one, the first station at nine is a educational program, independent living, communication, uh, financial literacy, um, tra- yeah, like I said, transportation in and around campus and the community. And we rented a dormitory where we teach independent living skills in the dorm. So it's like an apartment with a bedroom, kitchen, living room, and we learn how to live independently up there. The next hour, is the vocational training program. So we have about 12 sites on campus ranging from food, custodial, clerical, landscaping, library, just everything, every site you can think of on campus because our campus is a small town. And we have every service a small town has here on a campus our size. Or we send students out to the community to learn job skills at the hotel, hardware store, etc. At the end of that hour, and these students switch every five weeks to a new job site in the first year to get a wide experience of job uh, opportunities. The third hour is spent at the recreation center where they choose to participate in fitness, uh, group sports or activities like they would in the community center. They do their own program with a mentor. And finally, we spend the hour at the dining hall where they have a, a quick nutrition education lesson of about 10 minutes followed by a buffet lunch. And then they talk about their good and not so good food choices that day. And they try to focus on 
improving that throughout the semester, which is really working well. Following that program, students are very comfortable on campus. They've been around for a couple of years. They know other people. They know the campus very well. And they said, well, I want to go to college now. So we began a post-secondary program where we have seven students enrolled, uh, five living in the dorms, some with a Down syndrome, other intellectual disabilities, and autism. Uh, two are commuting from home here in town. And they take fully inclusive classes, six credits a semester, live in the dorms, participate in clubs and organizations, and uh, participate in recreation on a regular basis with a partner. And that's pretty much their living a college life here. That's that's quite amazing. So I got a really ton, ton of questions from that. Um, so you're start you're, you're grabbing them from the school districts. Then you're starting out at the school districts. Yeah, let me tell you how that's funded. I'm sure that's gonna be a question. Um, <laughs> the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation has funded us through the Pre-Employment Transition Services Fund, which is a federal mandate from the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. So there's a lot of money flowing in to the states from the national OVR offices because of the federal law. And all this money has to go to high school students. 15% of the budget of OVR has to go to high school age students, which never happened before. So they're looking for programs and communities to provide high school students these services. So if a student is registered with OVR, the Office of Vocational Rehab, they come to our program for free. If they're not, the school district will pay a small sum to send that student to us for the year. Wow, I hope I hope people in higher ed are listening to that right now on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Students can pay the OVR will pay the students tuition and everything except for housing if they come to college because it's also leading to employment, which is the goal of OVR. Very interesting. So, and I, I didn't know that, and that's that's huge news, um, especially for trying to make those collaborative um, experiences and connections. So you're saying that, that the high school students basically get a certain sum of money uh, that that has to go to them. Well, yeah, it's very very complicated. It's called a waiver program. I don't know if you have waivers in, in Texas or North Carolina, but it's part of money from Medicaid and Medicare. But a certain amount of money follows the student. And the waiver was, the idea with the waiver was to get the kids out of institutions and living in a community. So it waves them out of the, of the institution. But that money follows the student around. So there's a certain amount they can apply for and receive towards transition, post-secondary education, employment support, things like that. That is um, incredibly yeah. interesting. I, I had no idea. But it's all available. I mean, there's a lot of money available to high school students in the transition ages right now. Yeah, I was listening to cool. that. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope some people listen to that and uh, have some ideas with how they can maybe uh, use those funds. Yes. Because that's always an issue, isn't it? Is how do we get the funding for it? That's great. So, okay. So going back to your program, you're starting out in the school districts when they're 16, 17? 16 through 25. Sometimes parents will send their students when the student ages out. Parents will send them to us. And then my next question on that is like, so you're trying to teach them all these kind of employment, daily living skills, all the parts of their transition plan. Have you had, um, have you been able to follow up with that, some, some of them? We're in our third or fourth year of the work of the transition program. And I don't know the percent exactly, um, but students are either in post-secondary now, returned to high school for a final year, or are actually working in, 
in real jobs. We have a program that kind of fits the middle of those two called Work-Based Learning Experiences. It's also funded by OVR. And this program sends a student to a employment site, a business. The student works there for 90 hours over 10 weeks, and we pay the student 10 25 an hour for those 90 hours. And 13 of the first 15 students who completed have uh, employed, were, being, were employed at their sites. So, Holy cow. Yes, that's really the goal of the program. And part of that, of course, was our physical activity component built into that as well. That's uh, that's phenomenal because what that and that's because that's you know and we haven't really talked about that because we we've been talking about the kind of the transition planning but what we want is we want when they're done with the transition to have an outcome that we have someone that's physically literate and then also has all the other components to lead a high quality life. Yeah, exactly. Wow, so that's that's really great. So you've been doing that for four years now, then. Four years since. Yeah, and the uh, post-secondary ed called Rock Life is our second year now. We have seven students. We'll probably add another three or four next year for slow growth. You know, it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of supervision and, and management. But we'll go. We'll get about ten or twelve by next fall. We would love to have uh, as much information about that program uh, as possible. Sure. So, are there other programs? You know, so this is a national or international podcast now. Um, you know, I get some people to listen all over the place. Is, is there other programs like that uh, that, you know, that you're aware of um, throughout the country? There's supposedly are 250 universities offering post-secondary programs of some sort or another. Some are segregated. Most are non-residential. Um, some are for students with learning disabilities and a higher level functional skills. But 250 or so nationally, um, not a I don't think too many focus on the health and wellness model like we have, which I think is critical for the students' wellness and you know, projected uh, impact in life. It, it is. And uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, I had no idea there were 250. You know, that's, it doesn't feel like it. There's a lot in your neck of the woods, too. Some really, really good programs down by you folks down there. Why do you think the health and wellness part is so important? Oh, golly. Where, where do we start? <laughs> Preaching to the choir, I know. Um, I, you know, stamina, like we talked about, uh, upper and lower body strength, learning um, proper form, how to, uh, you know, appropriately lift things and, and transfer boxes and um, learning what, how important it is to be a physically active individual in the community is you know, for, for me, of course, is first and foremost, if if they can't get out of bed and, you know, their energy is really low and they haven't exercised, they aren't eating well, uh, they have no muscular endurance or cardiovascular endurance, they, they, they're not going to want to go to work. They're not going to want to access the community. And, and I think that, you know, physical activity and physical education is so much more. It, it's so, if you have, you know, you're teaching students to wait their turn and, and, you know, wait here. And then when they get back, the next person goes, then, you know, that, that transfers and, you know, they can wait at a crosswalk at a street and, you know, cross the street when it's ready or, you know, they're learning these things in a physical activity, physical education setting that are directly related. You know, I can't do my job unless I feel physically fit. And, and I think that that, you know, we just have to look inside ourselves and say, you know, if we're not feeling well or we're feeling a little run down, we don't want to do anything. And we have to directly relate that to our students as well. 
Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest factors of failing independent living is not the inability to work, but the inability to fill empty time in your day. So we can provide healthy choices of exercise or physical fitness to these students when they get done working, before working on the weekends, sort of fill a void in their day where they might get into some kind of trouble otherwise. My next question then, so I, you know, I think that's as far as who we are, that's an easy question of like, why is it important? We have a million reasons. Um, the, the, I have another kind of philosophical question that might be a little harder to, to answer. Why then are we not a part of that conversation or part of that thought process a lot? Well, I think it's the same reason that physical education is, you know, struggling as it is in North Carolina. We're looking at some mandates that, you know, we're hoping are not going to come down, but it'll decrease class sizes and, you know, possibly remove physical education from some schools. And I think it starts there. It starts with the the general education, the, the general curriculum, and the fact that even physical education isn't getting support then adapted physical education is going to be even further behind. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. I mean, phys ed doesn't get the sort of buzzword that legislators or decision makers want to hear. It's, if we use better terminology like health and wellness and health promotion, that obesity, I don't know, words that catch people's attention rather than physical education just doesn't resonate with these folks, unfortunately, no matter how good the program is. Yes, and it's that whole difference. You know, I don't teach gym. I teach physical education. Yes. No, um, I talked to Dr. Jim Rimmer one time, uh, and I got to sit down with him, and it was intimidating. But uh, that he said uh, very strongly, he said um, that, you know, what we need to focus on is health for people with disabilities. You know, we don't – it's not about maybe the profession as much. It, I mean, our profession is important. But the outcome of that is maybe what we need to focus more on is that health and wellness piece. Um, I think that's a topic for maybe another day, but uh, that's a important piece to look at. Um, I'll just say, sorry to um, interrupt, but I think one thing that also gets overlooked is the leisure part of our health and wellness, our recreation and leisure. We have to teach students what leisure is and what a leisure activity is. And I mean, I've, taught students how to hang hammocks and, you know, how to find a good spot and two trees that are appropriately distance apart and, you know, how to set up a tent or, you know, where, where to find a cozy spot to read a book. But, you know, those are leisure activities that we oftentimes have to remind ourselves to take advantage of, honestly. And, and our students with disabilities and with special needs also need to know that, that leisure is a very, very important part of life. Just mentioning at our staff meeting earlier that we need to focus on a little bit of stress reduction for some of our students in our program. Yeah. Like any college student does. And we didn't really address that too much in the past, but it kind of rang a bell that we would be looking at some stress reducers like relaxing at certain points in the day or knowing how to relax, like Laura said. Yes. And I, I end all of my classes with, you know, breathing in, breathing out, and, and working those skills because they're actually difficult. You know, that can be very difficult for students to do. But breathing in, breathing out, calming oneself down um, is a coping skill that a lot of students need to be taught. And it could work very well going into the workforce. Yes, yes. (laughs) So 
I, I got kind of two more questions for y'all. My first one is just kind of, you know, the transition program as a whole um, and, and what we want to see moving forward, you know, at a state, local and national level. What would you all like to see moving forward in this area in APE for transition, which is not well developed yet? Well, the whole area of transition is well developed for students to learn independent skills and college and employment practices. I mean, they're, they're behind that whole thing. Yeah, so if we can catch up to speed as a physical education profession with a transition specialist role, why can't we both go out in the community and follow students around and make sure their whole day, their whole environment is filled with skills they need, not just work or not just going to college, but daily living skills, physical activity skills, recreational leisure skills as well, and work as a team. Yes, I've found I've had a lot of luck with um, sending home or, or meeting with a parent um, after an IEP meeting or something and, and giving them a simple assessment. I mean, I hate to use the word assessment, um, you know, but then I give it to them and it's related to the student's transition and, and what they're going to be doing, you know, after the student graduates. And, and the parents, I get those get filled out more than permission slips or anything else because the parents are are, are thinking, oh my gosh, they really want my opinion. They really want to know what my child is going to be doing after school. And, and I have input that I can do. I can put it, I can say what I need to say and what we're going to be doing. And then, you know, they care about that. And then that opens their eyes to, oh, wait, are they a part of the transition process? Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. So I think that that helps. And, you know, the assessments are really easy and, you know, mine are self-made and, and, you know, really, really simple, but just kind of highlight what the what the parent actually wants. So my and then my last question for y'all is um, just, you know, is there any additional uh, like websites or uh, resources that AP teachers or parents or whomever listening to this podcast can maybe access to help guide them through the transition process or community collaboration? Uh, nationally, I think the strongest document we have is the Shape America Guidance Document, 2016. You can take that with you from a national organization as big as Shape is to some decision makers in your school building. I think that would go a long way to uh, let people know that maybe there's something to all this. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been a wonderful conversation, and I think we could totally do probably three more podcasts on this topic because this is a... Uh, I see this as the first step in broaching this topic because we need more conversations about transition. So uh, thank you so much for being on the, on the show. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Like I said, this will be the last one for the year of 2017. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope take some of that stress out, be active, go see family, eat some good food and come back and be ready for the new year, and be ready for some more podcasts. All right, with that, so long and take care.